0: Good morning, everybody. My name's Alan. Most of you probably already knew that. Happy Father's Day. How about a round of applause for all of our fathers? Yeah. Dad's work, not easy work. Uh, Before we get into the lesson today, I want to let you know about something just that popped up and it's going to be on our calendar now. It's on July 5th. Obviously, the day after Independence Day. It's a Wednesday night. And a guy that's been here a couple times, you may know him or maybe not. His name is Mike Napier. And another guy named George Funk, I believe, is his name. Uh, George is in charge of the Gospel Chariot Program. And Mike is also a coordinator. I'm not sure exactly what his involvement is. I just know that he's very much into this Gospel Chariot Program. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about when I talk about a Gospel Chariot? Okay, about half of you do. So what they've been doing for a number of years now is they've been putting together these kind of like buses and they kit them out and and make them roadworthy classrooms. And they take them into foreign countries and they try to take the gospel. And they've been very fruitful. God has blessed what they're doing. It's it's really a great thing that they're doing. Well, on July 5th at 6 p.m., they're going to have a brand new gospel chariot that they intend to take to South America, I believe. It's going to be here at Greater Alton, and they're going to have it open for kids and adults, anybody that wants to, to walk through it and look at it, and they'll put on a presentation just to show you what they're up to. So that's July 5th. So mark that down. If you're free on Wednesday night, we would love to have you here, and they would love to talk to you about what they're doing with the Gospel Chariot missions. Okay. So now, we're going to talk about Father's Day, right? Well, sort of. We're in the middle of a of a, a lesson series called Foolproof. You can see it up there on the screen. A couple of weeks ago, Tim approached me and he said, listen, we're going to be going through Proverbs. We're going to be looking for godly wisdom. It's going to be a couple of weeks. I can't be there. Could you cover a topic? I'd like you to do two lessons on friends out of Proverbs. And then I, I said, sure, if I can help, I'll help. And then later we realized that one of those days was on Father's Day. And I said, Tim, I, I'm not sure how to blend Proverbs and Father's Day uh, all, all together and friends. I, I'm not sure how to do that. He said, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> so here we are, and I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, i got to be honest with you, I didn't know what to do with this lesson. I really didn't know quite where to begin. And you're going to see that a little bit as we go through this. Uh what I found was I thought, well, okay, since I don't have any one verse that really speaks to all of that or, frankly, much of any of that about fathers in Proverbs, what's the most logical way to, to start this? And I thought, well, what I can do is I can assemble all the verses in Proverbs that mention fathers and just see what they say. Uh, can you imagine what I found? I found a lot of redundancy. I found a lot of redundancy. What I did find was that there were, and this is in your notes, 21 of those 24 verses were Proverbs about the father-parent-child relationship. 21. And I thought for a moment, you know, maybe what I ought to do is just read all 21 and dismiss it and say, that's that's the sermon, there you go, good luck. And then I thought, man, that's probably not (laughs) the most that I could do with this. So what I did was I I broke them out, since there are a lot of them that are saying essentially the same thing. I thought, well, what would happen, maybe a picture would form, of what was going on in Solomon's mind if I put these into categories based on their similarity? And something kind of started to make its way through the fog for me. I'll share it with you, and we'll, we'll see where we come out on the other end of this. See if you catch any of what I thought I saw. In There are eight Proverbs that Solomon writes that describe how the parent-child relationship affects parents. Now, he wrote these in groupings. It looks like there's eight of one of this one. There's seven of the next one and six of the last one. Is that important? I don't know. But there is more volume, slightly, on this thought that's going on in Solomon's mind. And keep in mind, we're wanting to know what is on Solomon's heart as he's writing Proverbs about family, children, relating to their, to their parents. So, of those eight that describe the, the effect on the parents in a child relationship, four of the verses describe the joy a wise child brings to their father and mother. By the way, all of these verses contain both fathers and mothers. They're not Now, there's some difference in those verses, but I think that you're, we could probably fairly talk about parents and flatten it out. You can read those. I've given you a list of all of those, so you can certainly check me out and see if I've come to the right conclusions. Or maybe you'll see something I didn't see. But four of them seem to, jo- to describe the joy that a wise child would bring his parents. Here's an example. Here's just one. Proverbs twenty three, twenty-four through twenty-five says a righteous person's parents have good reason to be happy. You can take pride in a wise child. Well that's true, isn't it? Let your father and mother be proud of you. Give your mother that happiness. That's a sweet verse whenever you think about it. But he and there are three more that are just pretty much just like it. But then he has four Proverbs that describe the heartache a foolish or rebellious child brings to the parents. So here's an example of that. It's Proverbs 17, 25. It says, A foolish son is a heartache to his father and a bitter grief to his mother. Mm, That one's not so chipper, is it? So Solomon has got four of each kind, four positives, four negatives, as he's talking about how children affect their parents. Okay, what else, what other categories are there? The next category that I found, there were seven proverbs where Solomon described how the parent-child relationship affects the child. Five times Solomon affirms the value of listening to your parents and learning from them. I noticed this. All of these verses seem to be speaking to the children. All of these verses, everything that seems to be on on Solomon's mind is about kids and how they relate to their parents. If you find one that's different, let me know, but that's all I found. Five times he affirms the value of listening to your parents and learning from them. Here's an example. It's right at the top of the book. It's, It's Proverbs 1, verse 8 through 9. He says, my child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Sounds good, doesn't it? I like it when he talks like that. However, two different times, in this same category it seemed to me, Solomon had some negative things to say. I'm giving you both of these verses because he he comes at it a little differently. Basically he says... That a child who rejects their father's instruction, he, in one verse he describes them as arrogant, and in the other one he describes them as a fool. Proverbs 13.1 Wise children pay attention when their parents correct them, but arrogant people never admit they are wrong. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Okay. Is a picture starting to form in your mind as to what was going on in Solomon's mind? Let's look at this last category. There were six Proverbs where Solomon describes how godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, remember how we talked about those last week. And it's a constant battle for God's people to seek godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. Like we talked about last week, wisdom is living with skill. It's knowing how things work and doing things the right way so that they turn out the right way. And nowhere in the Bible is worldly wisdom denounced as not being wisdom. It is a wisdom, a type of wisdom, but it is not godly wisdom. And it usually turns out bad. And so in these last six Proverbs, he's talking about the difference between children who use godly wisdom in their relationship with their parents versus children who use worldly wisdom. Here's the first one, and there's only one of these that's a positive one. It's Proverbs 176. Solomon says, Grandparents are proud of their grandchildren. It's true. And children should be proud of their parents. What a portrait that paints. Isn't that a nice picture Solomon has in his head? Grandparents love their kids, their grandkids, and children are proud of their parents. That's what godly wisdom produces in families. But the other side of that, he has five proverbs to tell us how worldly wisdom destroys families. He says in Proverbs, here's an example of one of them. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11, he says, there is a generation of those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There's a generation of those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Apparently, cancel culture is not a new thing. Solomon wrote this down apparently, approximately somewhere around 1,000 years before Jesus was born. So by my watch, I think that's around 3,000 years ago, give or take, a couple hundred. What was on Solomon's mind as he's writing these Proverbs and he's thinking about families and how children relate to them? Did something start to come into view for you as we kind of quickly surveyed these 21 Proverbs? Something came to me, and and I'll share them with you. Uh, Maybe you have different insights than what I would have, but this is what I saw. First of all, Solomon thought that the parent-child relationship is super important. It's super important. Secondly, Solomon knew that children are sometimes tempted to tune out or turn away from their parents. But only a fool would actually do it. Lastly, Solomon knew that there would always be a cancel culture, a group. In that translation that I used, it says a generation. Other translations take that Hebrew word and say there's a group. But there's always going to be a cancel culture, a group, a generation of people who say it's okay to cancel their moms and dads. Does that last one sting Anybody else besides me? I liked all those positive ones. I particularly loved that picture of grandparents and children being proud of their moms and dads. But this one bugs me, hits me a little harder. Um, Some of you know this, some of you don't. My kids have canceled my wife and I, they don't want anything to do with us, and they've cut off all ties. And it's a horrible heartache. I don't know why. I I just don't understand why that's the case. And I don't know what to do about it. I also know that there are several of you, some of you are here in this congregation, some that aren't here today, that are going through the same thing. It's not an isolated thing. And it's not something that we talk about much. When your children reject you, it's not something you really want to discuss. That's how I feel about it. And every holiday is a heartache. Because it's just a reminder that things are wrong, things are broken. And you may not have any idea what broke it or what to do about it. But as I went through this, as Chris and I went through this, what started emerging is just how common parents being cut off by their kids and being canceled by their kids is. And as I dug into it more for this particular lesson, I found that therapists and researchers believe that rifts in families are becoming more and more common, particularly with adult children stopping contact with one or both parents. That's a direct quote from one of the research papers that I was reading. There's a study that was done in 1997 that explored family relationships in later life and found that 7%, this is back in 1997, 7% of adult children had cut ties with their mother and 27% had cut ties with their fathers. Does that shock anybody? In 2015, a survey was conducted, this is eight years later, And they conducted it with 354 undergraduate and graduate students at universities in the northeastern U.S. And they found that 40%, 44% of those young adults had experienced an estrangement. What all that research says is that this cancel culture, this idea of cutting off mom and dad and not having anything more to do with them is a trend that's growing in our country. The prevailing wind is legitimizing children, even applauding them, encouraging them to cut mom and dad off, to disown them, to have nothing to do with them. It's more confusing when you actually look into how therapists are talking about this. There's a book that I'm reading now to see if maybe it can give me any kind of guidance or hope. It's called The Rules of Estrangement. And it's not a, it's not a Christian book. It's a therapist that's a, a, just a secular therapist. But he's gone through this estrangement with, with one of his daughters and found a pathway back to reconnect. So I'm hoping maybe that it'll give me some insight. But he was talking about the challenges. And the challenges are that society has shaped now. Remember a couple of years ago when we were doing a lesson series called The Truth About Lies? Do you remember us talking about uh, postmodernism and its effect? It's, it's like a war on truth. And it's grown. It's it's basically a French philosophy that was imported into the United States, started making its way over in the late 60s, early 70s, and now it's got some traction. And once you know what it is and can see it, you'll see it in a lot of stuff. So where we are now is there used to be, for a child to say that they were abused, there had to be something abusive that was done. But now therapists and the world around children are telling them, if you think you were abused, then you were. Seriously, anything that you feel was abusive was abusive. That's worldly wisdom at its finest. And, uh, Simon Bowes, uh, a relationship therapist based in London said in an article in Newsweek, there's a lot more, a lot more support out there now, a lot more information. If someone feels something about their life, they look it up. They join forums. They follow accounts on Instagram of people sharing their experiences. When people are feeling like this, like canceling their parents, they now have support to validate their choices. What a downer. I mean, you probably thought, hey, it's Father's Day. We're going to hear raw dads, right? And I tell you, man, I was trying as hard as I could to stay out of this negative ditch. And I think there's a way out of it. But the scriptures led me to this point And so I just want to try to show you what Proverbs... Because Solomon is the wisest guy that ever lived. Solomon does not seem to be overly optimistic about children, does he? He's, He's got a lot of warnings. He says, man, it can be really good. It's so good. Oh, it's good for you. It's really good. And he's like, man, it's horrible over here. This is really bad. This goes bad. It's not just bad for your parents. It's bad for you. It's not only just bad for you. It's bad for society. So I'm just trying to go where where Solomon was taking us. Worldly wisdom deconstructs families. More than that, worldly wisdom deconstructs humans. What were we created to be? We were made in His image. We were created to reflect God, to bear His image. And worldly wisdom wants us to reflect anything but God. Reflect ourselves. On and on. So it's Seems pretty obvious what was on, on Solomon's mind. But he's not the only Bible writer that speaks to this. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul had this to say. This is probably one of the passages we all know better than most. It's 6 verses 1 through 3. Paul says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. That kind of sounds like what Solomon was saying, doesn't it? Paul just said it in this much where Solomon wrote it out from a lot of different angles. But even as we're so familiar with this, with this passage, there are some questions that pop up. For me, there, there are questions that pop up. First of all, Paul is quoting the Old Testament, and he's not quoting Solomon. He's quoting the fifth commandment, the fifth of the Ten Commandments. That's in Exodus 20, verse 12. And he's also quoting Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 16. In fact, this honor your mother and father and the blessing that comes with it, the promise that comes with it, seems to be one of the most repeated themes in the Bible. It hasn't changed between Old Testament and New Testament. So, let's first of all, let's unpack this. What, what, what's the promise? The things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. So, all of us here have had fathers, right? So, this, this applies to all of us. Honor mom and dad so that things will go well with us and we'll live long on the earth. What's that promise mean? What does it mean to live long on the earth? Is that promise, if I honor my mom and dad, I'll live 120 plus years? No, it's a little confusing, isn't it? What's he getting at? So I did a little bit of research on that. And whenever you get down into the Old Testament, you look at the, the Deuteronomy and the Exodus version Is that, that that Paul is quoting. Whenever he talks about it, he's saying you'll live long in the land the Lord your God will give you on earth. He's not saying not he's not saying you're going to live long on the earth. He's saying you, all of you, will live long in the land that God is going to give you. One of the big differences that'll help that'll shake up your understanding of the Bible is whenever you realize that whenever the pronouns are you, he's they're mostly talking about groups and not individuals. It's our Americanism that make us make everything personal Look for that as you're reading and see how many times the passage is talking about us as a group, as a solidarity, as a family, as a community. And I think that's what's going on here. And I think that Paul would have seen it the same way. The promise is this. God's community, which we know from Scripture is God's family, the ones who image him into the world will continue to exist and function as his family, his representatives, and his ambassadors in the world. That's actually a really good thing. That's about being salt and light. But it only happens if we honor our mother and father. Sociologists say that when the bonds of family life break up, when respect for parents fails, the community becomes decadent and will not live long. Isn't it interesting? The same crowd that will tell you that if you think you were abused by your parents, then you were, and tell you you should cut them off, and ignore everything God's got to say on the subject, are the same ones who acknowledge that if you do that, if everybody does that, your society is going (laughs) to crash. It's a little duplicitous if you ask me. And apparently Solomon saw that this was a threat to his kingdom. I think Solomon saw that how the family goes, the nation goes. We talk about that in American politics, don't we? And yet we say very little about how children should honor their mother and father. Or even, what does honor your mother and father actually mean? What does that mean? Are you honoring your father by having one day a year that you call Father's Day? Yeah, maybe not. I mean, it's 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 a nice thing. I, I'm, I'm all for Father's Day. But the Hebrew word for honor is kebab, kabod. And it literally means heavy. There was, a, there was a guy by the name of Ehud, and uh, he killed this king that was so fat that when he stabbed a sword, a short sword, into his belly, the fat closed over the sword. <laughs> it's, and the word, when they say that he's fat, in Hebrew is kabod, kabod. <laughs> they double up on it. He's heavy, heavy. Okay, so how does heavy relate to honor? heavy your mother and father. <laughs> so, oh, I think it means when we honor our parents, we give them weight in our lives. And you think about that. Whenever I honor God, it's whenever his words matter and they are heavier than the words of my critics. They're heavier than the words of the social influencers and the media types. Honor your mother and father. You honor your mother and father whenever you give them weight in your life. Okay. I got to hurry up because I'm going to try to get this done so you guys can get on to your father's day plans. You're supposed to honor your mom and dad. Here's a question that I think I could anticipate pretty fairly. What if my parents behave in hurtful ways? Do I still have to honor them? What if my parents behave in hurtful ways, do I still have to honor them? I want to be careful to draw a distinction here. There is a difference between a parent that is hurtful and a parent that is harmful. There's a difference between those two. I don't know of a scripture that tells us to stand in harm's way like that in in, abuse, in truly abusive relationships. And by the way, if you're in a situation where somebody is truly abusing you and you're in danger, you need to get help involved. You need to call the authorities, fa- family services, somebody. Don't stay there and allow yourself to get harmed without doing something about it. So I'm not talking to you. If that's you today, I'm not. the rest of this is not about you specifically, although there are probably still some things you can learn here. But for the rest of us, we have relationships that are maybe not Helpful, they're more hurtful. Some of us have parents that are hurtful to me around. Yeah? So what does the Bible say? Do I still have to honor them? Yeah. How can I do that? I'm going to suggest that you can do that by being a godly friend to them. There's a debate. I'm not certain that I feel like parents can truly be, by worldly definition, the friend of their kids. I used to think that was a great thing whenever dads would say, yeah, I'm his best buddy about his son. But sometimes the, the, the benchmark for being a friend is so much below the benchmark for being a father that for a parent to step down from being a mom or a dad to relinquish all the, the gold that's there and all that God has packed into that relationship to just go down to being a, a child's buddy, a child's friend, is an abdication of a God-given responsibility to be a good parent. And yet, at the same time, embracing that responsibility as a parent makes you the best friend your child will ever have. It just doesn't sound like the kind of friendship that they're looking for at school and in the workplace and social life. However, on the other hand, can children be friends to their parents? They absolutely can and they absolutely should If they're going to honor their parents, they have to be. Even a hurtful parent, you can treat them as a godly friend would treat them. And so I've got, I used to use an acrostic here for the word friend. And I found verses for each one of these letters. And I'm just going to go through them kind of quickly. The first step would be to forgive them. Forgive them. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. My father passed away in 2019. There was a time, I'm gonna say in the, maybe around 2007, 2010, something like that, where I hadn't spoken to him in a couple of years, he hadn't called me and I got to think, well, if he's not checking in on me, I'm just not gonna check in on him. And I started getting really bitter about my dad and just how he didn't seem to care, wasn't really involved with me at all. And especially as I was trying to be a different kind of dad to my adult children, I got kind of bitter and bugged. And it was working on me, and I spoke to Tom Tarantino one day. I wasn't looking for advice. Tom gave me advice anyway. And I'd said, you know, and that's that's the way Tom is. Uh, I do that too. <laughs> I, uh, I said, you know, I'm just thinking about heck with him. You know, I, I'll just let it go. You know, he doesn't want to talk to me, then I'm not going to want to talk to him. And Tom, I don't remember his exact words. They were very kind and very soft and very short. And it was something to the effect of, oh, I hope you don't do that. That would be such a shame. Man, I hope you'd think that over again. I really hope you'd do something about that. It just doesn't seem right to just cut your dad off. I can't remember exactly what he said, but I couldn't get it out of my head. It was like I'd been punched in the nose. And so I had to to rethink the whole thing. Okay, well, I had all my list of why I was hurt and upset. i going all the way back to childhood. But Tom is saying something that I know God is saying. I know God's saying that, so how do I honor God? By the way, there's a huge connection between honoring our mother and father and honoring God. I hope that's not mistaken or or missed or overlooked today, because that really ultimately is what we're talking about. If we're image bearers and honoring our parents is about imaging God and honoring him, we're not being fully human if we're not imaging God. And this honoring your mom and dad is a part of it. And so as I'm wrestling with this all those years ago, I called my dad up and I said, you know, I got some hard feelings. His voice changed like that. He took a different tone. And it was like, oh, why? Just that, that that bit of respect that he showed changed me. I wasn't going to let it go just on that. I had to answer the question, so I told him all the different. I didn't tell him everything. That list was too long. My dad was far from a perfect father. He, I could I could defend him and I could condemn him all on the same podium. Today isn't about him. I just want to let you know about the experience. I listened to him, and not every explain, explanation that he gave me uh, solved the problem. It didn't. They weren't always answers. Some of them were excuses, but I heard his heart and he never really wanted me to feel that way. And I thought, you know, I've got to do what God says. I've got to forgive him. I got to let this go. You know what happened? I became one of my dad's best friends. I called him every week, sometimes a couple of weeks for the last decade of his life. And he respected me and I respected him. And we had a good influence on each other. Jesus redeems even the most difficult relationships. That's what I want to tell you. If you've got a hurtful a parent that, that behaves in hurtful ways, it starts with you forgiving. That's how our relationship was reconciled with him. It started with him forgiving. Right? So if you want to be a friend, forgive. Second thing is, request help from God. We're talking about prayer. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, Do all this in prayer, asking for God's help. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. Try to just do this on your own power. You're not going to get very far. But whenever you ask for God to help you, to change your heart, to help you to see things the way He does, See, that was one of the things that, that helped me with my own father was trying to see my dad through God's eyes. It's difficult to see your, your, your parents as people, isn't it? Because there's that dad and mom filter, and it's really tough to relate to them sometimes as being just kind of like you. But when we see them through God's eyes, we stop demonizing, we start humanizing. We don't have to make excuses. We don't have to deny that wrong things were wrong. That's not really even forgiveness anyway. That's just brokering some sort of a peace based on a lie. But the more you want to honor your mom and dad, the more you're going to need God's help to see your parents the way that God sees them. And that's a prayer life. Thirdly, what can I do to be a friend to my parents, a friend to my dad? I can intentionally speak well of them. I can intentionally speak well of them. Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. One of the things that that Chris and I have talked to people about when we've done marriage counseling is do not criticize your spouse in public. Further, stop bad-mouthing your spouse in front of your parents. All you're doing is tearing them down and, frankly, yourself. And what happens, I mean, it, it, there's, it's multifaceted how bad that really is. But you might forgive your spouse, but your friends can't because you've painted them out to be a demon. And now they're working as a wedge between you and your spouse. Well, guess what? The same thing happens with your parents. But there's another thing that goes on with this. Whenever you speak positively about somebody, especially someone that's difficult to like, guess what happens to you. Your attitude about that person changes. there was a, There's a guy here he's not here this morning. I could call on his name because he's not here, but he might listen to the tape and then we'd be in we'd be a jam. actually he knows all about this, but he was in a small group with me, and I, I told him, "I got no use for you you're willfully stupid, and I just i can't I can't <laughs> I want to put a preface on it. That was not a shining moment for me. That was about 32, 33 years ago. I, I had just been a cop. I thought and acted more like a cop than a Christian at that point, And I saw this guy and this man has changed so radically over the years and he's still deeply scarred, deeply wounded and does some things that are just really hard to understand. But we became really good friends. And another small group leader was talking about someone that was very challenging for them to love in their small group. And they said, well, you've gotten so far with this person. And and they just did not seem to understand this person still had these wounds. Now, I was going to be getting with this man the next morning. I was looking forward to it. Had been every week. I enjoyed hanging out with this guy. But then I began to explain to this other small group leader the problems that still existed in this man. And before I was done, I was dreading getting together with him. And my opinion of him was at the floor, and my relationship with him felt like a burden. And it turned in like two minutes. And it was so staggering to me that it had happened. I went from, I like this guy. He's my brother in Christ. Can't wait to get with him. To, man, how can I avoid him? And what was the difference? The way I was talking about him. I had to repent of it. I'm telling you, intentionally speaking well of others is a commandment. And it blesses you to do so. And it blesses other people. It does us no good to tear people down. And if you want to image God, if you want to honor your parents, stop talking bad about them. You'll drive yourself down. You'll tear them down. And what good is that? It just makes it harder. Intentionally say good things about them. Um, number four, Engage in good works. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially the family of faith. Let us do good to everyone. Engage in good works. What can you do for your mom and dad? What can you do so they can have some weight in your life? Well, I've given you a handout that's got 20 suggestions. I'm not saying work them like a, uh, like a directions on how to build a, a piece of IKEA furniture. I'm just saying here's 20, maybe one or two will resonate. Something that you can do. I put it in the back of the, of the notes. But they're ideas of good things you can do for your parents. And by the way, these things that I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm putting forward to you, you can do this with anybody. Anybody that you're having a hurtful relationship with. If you want reconciliation, you can do any of these you can do these things with anybody and get that same reconciled effect. But it's really important that we don't give up on our parents. And that leads into the next point, which is number five, never forget that I'm a minister of reconciliation. How many ministers do we have in this room? By a show of hand. How many Christians do we have in this room? Okay, you got it wrong. If you put your hand up for one, you should have had your hand up for both. You need to change how you see yourself to see yourself the way that God does because this verse is not written to guys like me and Tim and Gary. It is written to us too, but it's written to you. You're, if a, you're a Christian, then you are A minister. Minister means servant. That's all it means. It means servant. You're a servant of reconciliation. You have been deployed strategically to redeem the most difficult and divided relationships. And sometimes that parent-child relationship is the most difficult to imagine how I can try to redeem it. You're a minister of reconciliation. Lastly, we're going to close up this morning with this one. Number six, disrupt the cycle of heartache. Disrupt the cycle of heartache. I've, I've, it's, like, it's like touching a raw nerve this morning for me to tell you about the trouble that I had with my dad. I'm glad that I can say it, that God redeemed that one. It's heartbreaking for me to tell you about the trouble that I have with my kids. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. It, it hurts a lot. I can't even describe it. What I hadn't told you yet is my dad cut off his father. I never knew my, my paternal grandfather. I met him, but all my dad ever said about him was how bad he was and how embarrassed he was of him, ashamed he was of him. guy lives seven miles away. I never knew him. I don't know much about my family history beyond that because family was never a tight thing in my genealogy. We never went to family reunions. I don't know who I'm related to. I went to a skating rink one time as a teenager. Saw this beautiful little girl, dark brown hair, big brown eyes. All through the night I kept thinking, the next slow skate I'm going to ask this girl to, to, to skate with me. It was getting, we were running out of time. They were getting ready to shut down. They had one more slow skate. I skated over to this girl and said, bashfully in my 14-year-old voice, would you like to skate with me? And she said, I don't think we should. You're my first cousin. <laughs> I was, you want to talk about just stop and everything. Like, and for years I've wondered why, why do I not even know who I'm related to whenever they're basically, I throw a rock and hit 20 of them. This a cycle of heartache in my family line. It goes back I don't know how far. I tried to disrupt. I'd love to have dismantled it and stopped it by reconciling with my dad. But I disrupted it. With God's help and guidance and friends who confronted me and encouraged me, I disrupted that cycle of heartache. And now I have a cherished memory of my father where there would have been only regret. I think that was on your mind at the time, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, that we don't live with regret that we can't do anything about. It's Father's Day, guys. If you have a hurtful relationship with your dad, I want to encourage you to disrupt the cycle of heartache. Here's the verse that I back that up with. It's out of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Paul said that whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. If I did what my father did before me and maybe what his father did before him, I would have never been able to reconcile with my dad. My dad faced his death Knowing confidently that he was going to be with Jesus, not because of how good he was, but because of how good Jesus was. Because, you know, if you talk with me, guess who's coming up into the conversation? Jesus. I mean, you know, you can keep me on the Cubs and Cardinals for a little while. But eventually, I'm going to start talking about Jesus again. The same thing was true with my dad. And his love for Jesus became deeper and deeper and deeper the longer our friendship went on to where he was facing death in a way that I hope I can if I'm called to face it the way that he did. He really was not afraid. As he knew that he was terminal, his only care, the thing that he kept talking about, was telling others about Jesus. Hoping that my brother and sister would finally find that relationship. Hoping that others that he knew that needed to come back to Jesus would come back to Jesus. I hope you can see in all this storytelling that there is a way to disrupt the cycle of heartache and to find joy. I hope that you'll fight for your families. Fight for your friendships. Fight for your friends. But do it God's way, not the world's way. And don't let the world tell you that it's okay to just walk away from some of these relationships. We have to learn to listen to God's word, his voice, over all the others that shout and scream to us. And it is a war for whose voice we're going to let play the loudest in our heads and in our hearts. The world's always going to tell us a lot of things, but that turns out horrible. Listening to God always turns out well. So I'm going to quit here with the lesson. If you would, let's pray. And we'll be done this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. You're the father of us all. Uh, some of my proudest moments were uh, watching my kids do things that I loved to do. And uh, doing things that seemed to be, uh, I guess, in the family nature. I loved to listen to my daughter sing. I loved having my, uh, my son doing a percussion with us on the worship team. I loved watching him minister to people in small groups and ask me questions about the Bible. Family resemblances were thrilling to me as a father. And Father, I pray that as we discuss being image bearers of you, um, and as we talk about honoring our mothers and fathers today, that you see your image really starting to reflect in us with our attitudes, what we'll pick up, what we will commit to do. That we can honor you and give you that weight in our lives. Father, it's tricky to know how to give weight to your parents, especially if it's a difficult we're in a strange relationship. So I I pray that you'll guide us through that. Help us to learn from Solomon to um, embrace all the things that could be and to stay away from all the things that shouldn't be. Father, I pray that you'll change the way we think, the way we look at people so that we will reflect you and be more like you. Father, I pray that it's a great Father's Day for you and for everybody else. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: you i a tum tum you're tum 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 you are. We're all searching for answers, only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you are. (laughs) to <laughs>